1: Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we polymerise weird and wonderful science to enhance your brain. I'm Ian Wolf. On this edition, Dr. Marcus Mulner talks about the world of long chain molecules in the age of polymers. The Polymer Age. Marcus Mulner is a senior lecturer in the School of Chemistry at the University of Sydney. He's lived in Australia for the last 10 years driving his group's research into the architecture of polymers and the use of polymers in medicine and hybrid materials. Marcus will be speaking at the Frontiers of Science Forum on March 12, 2021 at the Concord Golf Club about how modern polymer chemistry advances technology. I spoke with Marcus by Zoom and began by asking him what exactly is
3: a polymer? Your audience will be quite familiar with what a molecule in general, is, so thinking of caffeine or pharmaceutical drugs are usually small molecules. Polymers are molecules as well, however they are macromolecules, so they are large molecules, they have a much higher molecular weight. If you think of a polymer you could imagine it as a pearl necklace structure, so you have small subunits or small molecules and that are then all connected together to form a long chain of all those pearls and that would be a polymer chain. And you could think of, for example, changing the polymer chain as well. So changing the amount of beads you have on it. So you change the length of it or change the color, so to speak, so the chemical identity. And so that you can play with polymer properties.
1: And we use polymers
3: all over the place, everywhere in modern life. Yeah, in fact, we live in the polymer age. So when you go through the ages, bronze age, stone age, it's usually defined by material class that has helped humanity go to the next step. And currently we live in the polymer age. Anything you touch, anything you see would have to do with some way or another with a polymer or biopolymer. So, yeah, they're omnipresent. And
1: is it, are we coming up on a big anniversary for polymers? So polymers have been
3: around for obviously a long time and they have been studied knowingly and unknowingly. So they're taking back to people using milk, stone, for example, in... 150 years ago, not knowing that they were working with a polymer, for example, but they they used milk to, to generate a material that is essentially a biopolymer. So they've been around for a long time, but we came up to an anniversary last year, 2020, that marked the 100th anniversary of a seminal work by Professor Staudinger, who basically coined the term macromolecule. He faced quite a bit of opposition as well back in the day, because a lot of small molecule chemists didn't believe that macromolecules exist so they they thought he's just a sloppy chemist and he doesn't purify his materials but later on he obviously won the nobel prize for his discovery of of macromolecules and its importance in in proteins and biomacromolecules so there was a big milestone reached last year 100 years of of macromolecules and
1: you're looking at designing polymers for exactly the properties you want them to have
3: yeah so looking at polymer i described it earlier as simply a, a long-chain molecule, but of course, you can change the properties of, of that molecule to fit it at a certain purpose. When you're looking at commodity polymers, of course, you can have a plastic bag that is very flexible, but you can have something that is rather hard and ductile, like the light switch, but these are all plastics or, or polymers. Things that we look at in research is, we're looking at things at a smaller scale, so we have tools where we can change the properties of the polymer by synthesizing polymers in a very defined length, but also in a defined architecture. So for example, if you start to branch your polymer, whereas it's just having a linear polymer, then you, you can switch on new properties that are not existing in the, the linear chain. So a linear chain, for example, in solution wants to coil. Whereas if you attach side chains to it, so you have a branched architecture, something I'm working on, polymers they called polymer brushes, or they look like bottle brush plants they assemble the structure of of bottle brushes, then if you have a crowding of chains, they cannot coil anymore. So through that, you have uh, distinctly different properties. If you're thinking of chains cannot entangle anymore, they, they have a lower friction.
1: So, for example, we might have, I believe, all plastics are polymers, but not all plastics behave the way we would like them to behave.
3: That is correct. So all plastics are predominantly Polymers, I would say, uh, there are a lot of composite materials out there. Plastics actually comes from Greek, from plasticos, so being formable or shapeable. So uh, that general description obviously would fit uh, also composite materials. And we often in commodity materials add things that are fillers, so you have a better optical properties so or you have better barrier uh, properties. So the reason why we are interested in changing, uh, for example, the architecture of a polymer, is because through so that Uh, we're switching on new properties as I mentioned and we are keen to use polymers in the context of nanomedicine. So nanomedicine is essentially the use of nanotechnology to advance medicine and we all know for example chemotherapy can be very harsh on the body and this has to do with small molecule drugs having side effects or they don't reach uh, the desired tissue in time or they accumulate in in, in healthy cells where they technically shouldn't go and nanomedicine offers a concept By which it encapsulates the cytotoxic drug and then protects it from causing harmful side effects, but also guiding its way to the area of interest, such as the diseased tissue or tumorous tissue. And most of the carriers that are studied sort of in the last two decades, three decades, are materials that resemble spheres. So that the carrier that carries the drug is usually a spherical object. And this is mainly associated with its ease of, of synthesis but if we want to understand or if we want to improve the nanomedicine concept we need to also be able to understand um, how for example a carrier shape a carrier stiffness carrier surface chemistry affects its performance and we were just a bit short in having synthetic approaches uh, to tailor or to custom make such carriers so one way we can do this is by the technology that we use which is the of brush technology where we can make spherical objects, but at the same time, we can make materials that are rod-like, uh, cylinder or filamentously shaped. They can be hard, they can be soft, um, they can be compartmentalized, We have a distinct core and a distinct shelf. And by building up this library, we can then within one system, develop a structure function property relationship that allows us uh, to better predict how this material will actually perform in a nanomedicine uh, context. So, for example, we could show that if you compare a sphere and a rod, the rod actually can outperform the sphere, the rod can accumulate better into the tissue, and even can penetrate deeper compared to the sphere. So, of course, this then opens up other avenues to explore this further in developing nanomedicine platforms around rod-shaped materials. So you've got a library
1: of different shapes that have different properties and different effects when they go into a polymer, and you can assemble a new polymer out of the different modules? Is that what you're saying?
3: So, so the brush platform allows you to make polymers of different shapes and of, of different, and endow them with different properties. And then this platform we use in various areas, one being nanomedicine, to better understand how carrier dimensions or design parameters affect their performance in the context of nanomedicine. So they're all made from polymers. It's It's more... The delicacy here is really how to stitch the polymers together. So if you have a brushed architecture, you would need a polymer main chain that has attached various chains onto this main chain. So, the chemistry becomes important. And how do you achieve this precise attachment of polymer chains onto a long backbone? And this is something rather tricky. And I think I'm currently the, the only researcher in Australia focusing on, on brush technology. Very interesting.
1: So, is nanomedicine the main application that you're looking at? It
3: certainly, over the last few years, this, this has been our main focus and sort of our main avenue of using our research funding. But in recent years, we have discovered other ways where our pure architecture can be of interest. So one thing that uh, we're currently working on extensively is looking at osteoarthritis so the degeneration of, of cartilage we are living in an aging population so this is something that will affect all of us so it's the end of our life and I think one in ten of, of, of all Australians already experiences uh, osteoarthritis so there are two ways really of how one can think of targeting this so one would be to replace damaged tissues with a synthetic material or like when you have a hip joint replacement, this is usually you replacing it with, with a foreign object that does the same job. Or you can use a concept of tissue engineering where you actually embed a tissue that contains also cartilage or cells that are found in cartilage. And then by changing or by adjusting the properties of the gel, you motivate those gels to actually reproduce or regenerate healthy cartilage tissue. And when you look at nature's cartilage, it's, it's basically two main components that act together that give the function of cartilage, the collagen network, but more importantly, it contains proteoglycan aggregates. And those proteoglycan aggregates actually look like a bottle brush. So since we're working closely with, or since I have focused in the last sort of decade on really refining the the way we can make and then also utilize branched polymer architectures, we are now working on using our molecular brushes as biomimetic materials, so mimicking the structure and then hopefully also the properties of proteoglycans. So we can make uh, new gels that behave similar to cartilage that then allow for regeneration of of healthy cartilage tissue.
1: Amazing. So is arthritis another illness where you need to
3: regenerate cartilage? Osteoarthritis is the the condition basically, one one form of of arthritis, but essentially the degeneration of, of cartilage tissue.
1: You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Would you like to tell me a little bit about the history of polymers?
3: Yeah, so the the history of polymers, I think it it dates back to actually quite a while. I think there's early writings from 1530 or so where I think a Swiss monk had an exchange in, in telling this, his colleagues, or handing over a recipe basically telling him, if you follow my steps precisely, you can, you can generate a material that you can shape in in all kinds of forms, or they can form into all kinds of shapes. And what they were actually talking about is uh, using uh, biopolymers and in their case, for example, milk. Uh, and if you heat it up, you actually cross-link your, your proteins and you get something that's called Galalis, So it's milkstone. So if you, for example, visit Vienna in in Austria, you might still see on old buildings actually some doorbells that are made from that material. It's a very old material. Centuries ago, people did not know that they were working on polymers or making plastics, but certainly people were already using it. Another example is, for example, pectin that you extract from fruits that is is used to gel um, marmalade. That is also a long chain polysaccharide polymer that people use very frequently in early days, but did not really know that they were using polymers. I think polymers really came to the forefront, particularly during the world wars. And there were a lot of embargoes around the world, uh, restrictions to, to get to natural materials, natural resources. Not every country had access to cotton. So a lot of the synthetic polymers or the commodity polymers that we use nowadays were actually invented and discovered around that time, purely out of necessity to, to replace uh, natural resources. So the materials that we fast forward 100 years, I mentioned before, we just had the 100-year anniversary of starting us declaring that macromolecules exist. The commodity polymers actually have not really changed much. We're still using a lot of the polyolefins in, in our daily life. But what has changed over the last 100 years is really the way we, we understand the material and the way we can use it nowadays. To stick with polyethylene as an example, polyethylene... Is used in for example single-use plastic bags and everybody will be familiar with with those and and their properties if you buy a water tank for example for rainwater might be made from the same material it's just that the branching has changed or the molecular weight has changed in fact you can use the same material to make a very long chain to make bulletproof vests and i think that's that's very impressive it's the same material it's just carbon and hydrogen but just by understanding and being able to tune its It's molecular weight, it's length, it's branching. We can make a distinctly different material class. It's an amazing difference. Yeah, yeah. Now it's, I mean, it's um, such a simple polymer, but obviously it's made from finite resources. So I think one big push in the future will be, of course, really work on not just recycling, i.e. the collection of plastic or polymer waste and then uh, repurposing it. But I think there's a, a big push in the world as well to come up with new synthesis methods that allow us to go more into a circular economy or circular life cycle of polymers. So rather than repurposing them, we would like to basically break them down into their original building blocks and into their monomers and then repolymerize them to form pristine material again with pristine properties. So I think going forward, sustainability and everything that it encompasses will be a very big field not just in polymer science, but in chemistry and chemical manufacturing in general. Even though we are mainly looking at the use of polymer architectures, we're also interested in making synthesis of polymers easier and maybe also a little bit more sustainable. And Something that is emerging in contemporary polymer science currently is um, the introduction or the, the basically the rediscovery of, of light chemistry. So using light to drive reactions This is a very old chemistry, really, but it's it's basically being repurposed for new concepts. So a lot of the polymers that would traditionally be be made, they are made in sort of batch reactors and usually with heat to heat up the reaction media and, and, and facilitate some form of reaction. But sort of in the last decade or so, scientists have rediscovered the way of using light as the trigger to actually drive that polymerization. And through that, it was discovered that We have actually formidable control not only over the polarization so we can make an even better materials but also we're taking heat out of the equation so if you are able to run a material synthesis via light you have firstly spatial control so it will only happen where the light hits you have temporal control switch off the light no reaction switch on the light you have the reaction but if you're looking at from an energy profile you're also taking away the heat that was necessary so if you want to make this into a bigger process down the track we also need less energy to run that reaction and something that we developed in that area was actually the use of a waste product from the mining in- industry or a side product bismuth oxide it's a semiconductor material that absorbs also visible light and we could show that we could use that semiconductor as a, as a photo-redox catalyst to drive conversations uh, simply by shining um, light from a house- generic household lamp onto it we're driving then a um, a process that allows you to grow polymers just in water, for example. So this is a, another process where we're making materials in a more environmentally friendly way, but also our catalyst is actually a heterogeneous catalyst. So that means it's actually easily recovered from the solution and we can reuse it. So for, for recycling, that's also a, another avenue. Very interesting.
1: The only thing I didn't ask you, what people would have to study to work with polymers, but is the answer
3: just chemistry? It kind of depends where you are on the globe. I mean, I think you said you can listen to your podcast around the world. So yes. um, I think, yes, chemistry is the gateway, I would say, because a lot of it is chemistry. But I think the future, again, in polymer science, it's polymer science is a truly interdisciplinary research frontier so you not only need chemistry I think in the future you need to understand a bit about chemical engineering uh, particularly the things that I talked about light driven mm. reactions uh, sustainability a lot of flow chemistry will nowadays come into the into the picture there's a lot of 3d printing going on with polymers so not just knowing the chemistry won't won't be enough I think so you need to understand a bit more about engineering and with data science or computer science big data nowadays i think there's lots of software development machine learning robots that can make chemical syntheses as well sometimes better than the humans so i think chemistry as a chemist and uh, having done my phd in chemistry yes i would say chemistry is still sort of the central science in that but i think by studying chemical engineering or um, computer science or other things, you're not locking yourself in to not make sort of the move into into polymer science, mainly because it's very, very interdisciplinary. I think sort of the main things, yeah, I mean, we are interested in architectures, we're the only ones in Australia really having that expertise, so we want to make use of that, the technology that we have developed, told you about the two examples, the cartridge one and the, the nanomedicine one, I'm a professional polymer chemist or uh, polymer scientist and i'm interested obviously in, in the history of polymers i do lectures here as well at the university and i try to concept- contextualize as well uh, inventions or, or uh, everyday materials that we use with how have we come to, to this place and also where do we need to go now so uh, in in my lectures here at the university it's not just a historical excursion and talking about the, the chemistry so to speak it's really also looking forward or looking ahead on, on what are the challenges that our future students need to you know help contribute so we can you know, overcome it after all we're producing the next generation of scientists and they will need to help us really tackle uh, sustainability and um, making you know the, the next the next leap basically i don't know what's past the polymer age but there will be another age i'm happy to talk about the future i mean this is obviously a personal spin I'm part of an international advisory board for a major polymer journal, and together with all the other advisory board members, we've written an essay last year to basically to commemorate the 100 years and anniversary of polymers. But we basically look ahead, and what's meant to be going on in the next 100 years of polymer science. And key areas that we have identified is definitely sustainability. So as I touched on before polymers, microplastics, all these things are constantly in the news. Uh, We are now aware of that. There's a lot of legislation being changed to uh, overcome some of the difficulties, but of course we need to rethink a little bit our materials of the future, particularly also since we're working with finite resources. And that brings me then to the next step. So we need to come up with new ways of making polymers or with new ways of achieving similar properties that we currently have with our commodity polymers. One of the big hurdles always is that if we want to integrate biomaterials, they are very different to, for example, a polyethylene that I was talking about. A polyolefin is carbon and hydrogen. If you look at a biopolymer, and this is why biopolymers are so fantastic in in what they are doing, but they often have other heteroatoms. They have oxygen, they have nitrogen, and that gives them completely different properties. So if we want to make a material that behaves like polyethylene, but is not made from polyethylene, These are challenges and these are challenges for the future to come up with either new materials or find new ways of of making a material that that behaves similarly. And some of your radio program also frequently features space or talks about space. Obviously, humans want to go to Mars. This is a journey that is very long. We need to have lightweight materials. The, The prime example for lightweight material are polymers again. So how can we make the next generation of polymers that last, you know, to be in the extreme situations that they, they would have to be in, in, in high vacuum, very cold temperatures, long journey, UV exposure. So these are things, no doubt, NASA and other researchers are thinking about it, but this is also some, some part of where do we see us as, a, as humans? If we want to live at a different planet, we need to have materials also that, that are able to facilitate it. Polymers, I think, will play a big role in that as well.
1: Well, thank you, Marcus, very much.
3: Thank you very much, Ian, for um, having
1: a tip to me. That was Dr. Marcus Mulner from the University of Sydney talking about the age of polymers. Dr. Mulner will be speaking at the Frontiers of Science Forum on the 12th of March, 2021, at the Concord Golf Club.
2: In the laboratories of your name here, there is a modest sign. And here, dedicated scientists face the challenge. Years of heartbreaking failures and setbacks only stiffened their resolve to conquer the problem. And one day, a strange and historic accident. Oh, well, you did it again. Gee, what a mess. Oh, well, wait a minute. Maybe... Listen. By Gad.
0: Do you suppose this freak accident...
2: Of course. That's it. That's the answer. We've done it. After all these years, we've invented it. How about that? And with those historic words, the search was over. From the laboratories of your name here, had come the key to the secret that had baffled man through the ages. No longer a dream, but a reality was your product here.
1: And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolfe. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin McLeod of incompetech.com. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including... Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8CCC in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2NVR in Nambucca Valley, 3 MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and 2XXFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in Northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on on the National Science Foundation's Science360 Internet Radio Station, and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. Check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes, archived on diffusionradio.com where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf or join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. You can now buy a Diffusion Radio t-shirt from diffusionradio.com support. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more Science Wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio.
0: Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick, everything from a molecule to a living organism.